Australian Made Week is here. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo when you shop. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harnison. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of A Road to the Ashes on SEN here in Melbourne. I'm Simon O'Donnell sitting in the studio all the way over there in the UK at the Talk Sports Studios is my co-host Steve Harmison and we're here thanks to the Green and Gold Kangaroo and uh, by Australian Made, of course. That's what the Green and Gold stands for but the navy blue is uh, what Steve Harmison likes and it's been a massive 24 hours in news leading into the ashes. Talking of the ashes of uh, a bygone era, Mike Gatting joining us a little later in the program. But the news breaking, Harmy, as I welcome you to the show, in the last 24 hours, a massive blow for England with Joffrey Archer out of the ashes campaign. Yeah, hello, Simon, and hello, everyone at home listening. It's a huge blow, not just for, for England and for Joffrey, but I think for the ashes as well. I think this was... It was, you know, we've all been talking about it for the last few weeks, about the eagerly awaited series probably since 05, and you wanted both sides to be at full strength. And unfortunately, Jofra's got a recurrence of the elbow injury, and it's it, it, it looks like that might be... Mm. A lot of people are being, is it going to be the end of his career? Is he going to play test cricket? I, I, somebody close to, you know, your heart's in Australia, it if you had sort of seen the way that Pat Cummins came into the world in Test cricket, and then his third injury when he at, a, at such an early age, you'd never believe that he'd be Test captain now of, of Australia because of the injuries he's had. So I think you have to be be careful of writing Joffre off as his career is finishing. But for the Ashes, it's a huge blow for England. I think another one was Brian Cast, which not many Australian listeners would have heard of too much, but. I think with him getting a, a side injury, probably going to be out for eight to ten weeks now. Um, he was a, probably a backup behind Joffre if England needed a little bit more firepower. So that was a blow. And then you've got the the big news that Ben Folks has been left out. Johnny Bairstow's in, and England have named a, a 15-man squad that's going to go to the Island game with a view that that probably will be the squad for the Ashes. So... There's been some good and bad news over in uh, in the British Isles over the last sort of 48 hours, and I think not it's been more positive for Australia than negative. Yeah, I think it is positive, definitely, Harmy, because the impact that Joffrey Archer had during the last Ashes series in the UK, you know, and, and you know, tumbling Steve Smith at, at Lords, and the impact he had to that top order. Uh, I just think that there'd be Australian batsmen going, Phew. you know, that, that is yeah. a, a load off their mind. He's a, a guy with genuine pace, bowls really very much stump to stump. So you know, his shorter pitch deliveries, there's no angle to get out of the road of them. They're, they're at you and they stay at you and they're not angling away or um, uh, angling inside you. They're actually continuing the trajectory straight at you. And, and you know, he utilises that so well. So I, I just think that Australian top order, there's a sigh of relief there tonight. It's bad news, yes, for Archer and for England, but it's really good news for Australia. It is, yeah, and I think th th exactly the way you've sort of described it. I didn't see Joffre playing in the first Test match. I don't, I don't think many people did. But exactly what you're saying there is perfect for Lords. You, you know the slope, you've played it, Lords, Simon, you've, you know the angles that you need to bowl at Lords. You see bowlers changing sort of 
close to stumps, wide of the stumps. Somebody like McGrath, who was unbelievable at Lords. Joffre is very, very sort of similar, but 10 mile an hour than Glenn when the latter part of his career, whereas he gets close to stumps and you've just got nowhere to go. You've really got nowhere to go because his full ball is on the money and his short ball just doesn't leave you. You can't get out of the way. And like we've seen with Steve Smith at Lords in 2019, uh, one of the best batsmen of all time couldn't, just couldn't line him up. So it is a, it is a huge blow. Um, I'm disappointed for the boy more than anything else. I really am. He, he's worked so hard to get back fit. And he, he obviously the, this this elbow injury just, just doesn't seem to want to go away. But fingers crossed for him that his career is not over in the longer format of the game. But saying that, Simon, with the news that's coming out and the rumours that's coming out, if he is out for another 12 months, is there going to be te- is there going to be Test cricket in 12 months? Mm. The way the IPL contracts are coming out, so that's for later in the show. But is Jeff Archer going to have a Test career? Because will Test cr- cricket be around in 12 months' time? Yeah, let, let's hope he 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 does because he's genuine firepower for England. And we I think we've we've seen in the last six or eight months, Army, that the the change of international teams wanting one. Absolute piece of express pace in each of their bowling lineups. South Africa used it quite well here in Australia this year. New Zealand have used it well for the last few years. Um, you, you've had uh, Mark Wood over in the UK doing it for you guys in 2020, one day cricket and, and test matches over the last 12 or 18 months. So, who, where's the firepower come from now for? England in the Ashes, or are they going to become as they have, and they've done such a fantastic job with Jimmy Anderson uh, and his uh, and Bro- his old mate Brody, who are just a fantastic combination with that bit of pace and swing. Is that going to be enough to get twenty wickets a Test match? I think it is in England. I think Simon. I think Mark Wood in Australia proved in the last Ashes series he was the, the sort of one shining light that we could hang a hope on that. Potentially, you get a wicket on a flat one when the the Cooper ball stops swinging, and Marnus or Steve Smith or Travis Head was getting in. Mark Wood still still caused Australia some some issues. Now, if this fifteen man squad had been picked to go to Australia, then I think a lot of England fans would be worried, and I think Nathan Lyon's comments this week might have come true. But this is in England. And there's a different animal in England. The Duke's ball, overhead conditions. I look at this at this minute in time in first-class cricket. You've got Chris Rushworth, who's got 30 wickets. Um, and Mohamed Abbas, who's, I think, third on the first-class wicket list so far this season. Both 78-mile-an-hour bowlers, both very, very accurate. Test your technique. I think Mohamed Abbas has got 26 wickets, 27 wickets for Hampshire. All of a sudden... Them bowlers in England have caused a lot of problems. Now, that's Jimmy Anderson, that's Stuart Broad, that's Ollie Robinson, who got 14 wickets in a match a couple mm. of weeks ago. So, from a, from that point of view, I still think England's bowling attack, whichever one they pick out of this combination they've got in the 15-man squad, will cause Australia problems in English conditions because we have had a, such a wet summer so far. Pitches have done a little bit. Atmosphere made the ball swing. And that there brings Anderson, Broad, Robinson into play. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom for England. Wood will be playing possibly four out of five test matches now if England can get them there. So it, it would have been a it would have been a massive blow if we were going to Australia next week for the mm. next month for the Ashes with this bowling lineup because I think it's proved the last couple of times we've been to Australia. 
that we've taken this combination and we've ended up losing heavily. Hami, just clarify for us, Jimmy Anderson, I know you've been, um, I would have a chat to him in the, in the uh, last few hours or yesterday. Um, is he, I, I don't think he's picked in the, well, he's not picked in the side to play Ireland. They're holding on to the first test, first Ashes test. All good with him for that first Ashes test as far as you're concerned? Yeah, I don't see there are any any issues. Jimmy was in good form yesterday. Um, he even smiled a couple of times. So I think the first bit of it was a bit of wind, but after that, he was all right. He just there was a little joke in it and a smile, but no, joking aside, Jimmy said he's fine. Um, I think he's got a, a grade one tear in his groin, which will be he'll be up and moving in, in no time at all. I didn't think for one minute that they'd risk him against Ireland with five Test matches in. In six weeks, the workload that he's had, he's bowled a lot of overs so far in this English first-class summer. I think with a view that he tapers it down and gets himself ready now. I think this is this one little groin niggle, which is just coming at, at a bad time. So I was with Jimmy yesterday, I was with Johnny Bairstow yesterday, and, and Johnny was in good form as well because Johnny, he's now got the gloves. Um, and I think he, he wanted to stress that he can't do anything about the, the Ben folks, Johnny Bairstow, argument um and he he's quick to stress that he's kept wicket a lot of times for england and his record keeping wicket is not too bad so um they were both in good form yesterday jimmy will be fine for the first ashes test match and i think the right decision was made on bestow yeah it'd be good to see uh, johnny bestow back uh, ben folks is the man that's uh, been deposed as wicket keeper for england now that's for the the first test against ireland or the first and only test against uh, ireland in uh, at Lords, uh, so it'll be good to see Johnny Bairstow uh, uh, back on track. I'm assuming uh, during the Irish Test match and in between that and the first Test match, he won't be playing golf anywhere, Harmy. No, I don't think so. Um, he it was a freak accident. He said it was just something completely bizarre. Um, and Gotta have a better I've temperament this- than that when you hit a bad one wood every now and then. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, you, you you do you do that when you you play golf off eighteen. But you know, Johnny is not a bad he's not a bad golfer. Um, but I've seen the scar, and the scar is a it's a bad one. The pins in in the ankle. It's it's um, he's still got a little bit of a limp, but it's not it's not it's not huge. And he's kept wicket very well for Yorkshire so far. He's took some blinding catches. Said he feels as though he's getting fitter and stronger. Um, because he was a big lad when he came back, but he's lost a he's lost a lot of that, and he he looks in in good form. But no, I don't think Rob Key, as much as Rob Key likes the England players to play golf, leading into games to get themselves muscles moving and walking around the golf course. I think the one person who will be barred from playing golf uh, <laughs> would be Johnny Bairstow. Well, let's uh, let's you mentioned Rob Key. Let's get a a word from Rob now, the England director of cricket. On the select and selection of Johnny Bairstow over Ben Fox. It's something we agonised over for quite some time, actually, because you've just got two very good cricketers. Um, ben Folks, who's done absolutely everything that's been asked of him, but then you've also got Johnny Bairstow, who I think was probably one of the best batsmen in the world last year. So it's then how do you try and fit them both in if you could? We couldn't find a way to do that. So we've ended up with Johnny keeping them Obviously, batting probably will come in at number seven, which then just looks like a very good team. 
you know, as, as hard as it is on Ben Folks, um, you know, you look at the potential lineup and you think it looks, you know, it, it looks a very, very good side with Johnny in there. Particularly, Hummy, the the way England are playing their cricket, the what, what has been labelled the baseball, you know, having a, a, a guy of Johnny Bairstow's ability, you know, walking out at seven, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite a batting lineup. It is, and especially there's a couple of things on that, Simon. If Moad Ali's in the team and a, the younger Stuart Broad before he got hit in the head, um, then you possibly could say Ben Folks at number seven. Not a problem at all because you've got Moan Ali at number eight, Stuart Broad who can clear the rope at number nine. England have got four number tens now, whether it's Robinson, Leach, Wood and Anderson, who I think will play in the first test match. Then you've got to have number seven get a shoe in a guarantee of scoring runs and Johnny's got 10 sorry 12 test match test match hundreds but I think what you what we've all the the, the biggest point I think why Johnny's got a return Brendan McCollum and, and Ben Stokes have come in with this uh this whirlwind this we are going to play with freedom when whatever we need to chase we'll go and chase it 350 off 70 overs at Trent Bridge we'll go for it every single time Seven and a half and over in Pakistan. That's how we're going to play our cricket. Johnny Best have started this. At Trent Bridge, after T, England needing 100 and 160, I think it was. Johnny Best gets nearly 100 in that last session to win the game. He gets 100 because he was in at tea time. If Johnny Best doesn't score them runs, England don't win that test match in the fashion they do. And all of a sudden, this basketball might not have got off the ground. So because of that momentum that Johnny gives, and then they went on and did it again the next Test match. All of a sudden, England play the way they've played for the last a year. England are 10 from 12. That only happens if Johnny plays that innings at Trent Bridge. Mm. So for me, a lot of people have said it's harsh on Ben Folks when you've got Zach Crawley in the team, and you've kept him in the team. But unfortunately, from, from Ben Folks' point of view, this whole era of positivity between McCullum and Stokes started because of one John, Johnny Besto. So for me, that's why he has to come back in the team. Yep, uh, I, I think the um, the side, the way they're playing with uh, Johnny Bairstow back in it, uh, just looks that uh, touch stronger than uh, it, it is uh, prior to um, to Johnny Bairstow coming back into that England eleven. Australian Made Week is here. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo when you shop. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harnison. You said before the last Ashes, you were confident Australia could go get a whitewash if you play well in every test, Australia could win that. How do you feel ahead of this series on that front? 100%. percent I've never gone into any game thinking I'm never going to um, compete well and, and win the game. So, I, in my, I know it's a headline for you guys, but in my opinion and my view, every game I play for Australia, I'm going out there to win it. Um, and that's that's simple. So um, I'm confident uh, heading over there. I, I think our squad should be really proud about the work that we've done over the last 24 months. I think uh, it's been an incredible journey and something that we should be really proud about. Um, but this is a new challenge, and I'm looking forward to going over there and extremely confident. Just to clarify, whitewash doable? 100%. There you go. There's your head. No. <laughs> Welcome back to Road. To the ashes, Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Well, it used to be left to 
Glenn McGrath prior to the series to um, to just you know stoke up the opposition, but uh, Nathan Lyon's taken over the the mantle of recent times, in particular leading into this Ashes series. He's looking for a whitewash, army. <laughs> it's it's good. The guy he asked for the headline, he got the headline, and I'm sure there's a few, not just in Australia, be some English papers as well, picking up the fact that Nathan Lyon has decided that he's going to turn into Glenn McGrath. Um, look, I, if it was in Australia and England had picked this 15-man squad, I don't think I could disagree with them because I think that would be, you know, England, not down to the bare bones, but not having the tools equipped to go to Australia to, to perform on them wickets. This is different. Mm. This is different. This is in England, the way the ball's moving about over here at this minute in time. Um, but, hey, you, you can't not. The way Nathan Lyon's thinking. Glenn McGrath thought that way. Then McGrath and Shane Warren at the other end, and they were a deadly combination. So I think it's going to be a fascinating series, one that both sides think they can win. And I think they can, and I do believe Australia can win um, if, if, they, if they get to the condi- conditions early enough. And they've got a one up on, I think England, I think Australia got what, a little bit of a head start because I think that contest between India. Over Ireland is going to be a lot stronger, so get acclimatised a little bit quicker than probably they would if they'd gone and played Derbyshire's second team or Leicester's third eleven. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, I don't think Nathan will be proved correct at five nil, but I do think still think Australia have a chance of winning, especially now. There's no Jofra Archer, and if Mark Wood was to fall down in one of the early Test matches, if England are behind the series as the series goes on, then um. I don't think England have got any firepower if Labuschagne and, and Smith are scoring runs like they can do. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tricky work for English selectors to plan out who's going to bowl and play where, especially when they've only got one fast fast bowler up their sleeve. So I don't think Lyon is going to be going to get his way five nil, but I'm sure he's confident that his team can 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 win over here. Um, and I don't blame them because I, I do still think Australia do have a chance. As the world's become a, a smaller place over time, I, I think the mind games and the banter pre a series and during uh, probably they're more on the irrelevant side than the relevant side these days. Mm. I, you know, but what I, I do think is, is still very relevant is you know, is the pressure of a game and the, the pressure of a situation. Players see much, so much of each other these days with... 2020 tournaments and, and touring so much more during this um, millennium of cricket than what they did in the pre-millennium. I, I, I just think, you know, it, the pressure of the moment is now the key. The other stuff is, is quite peripheral. Would you, would, are you thinking a bit the same way, Harmy? Yeah, I think so. I think social media and, you know, the, the evolution of the where the world's going now, there's not... There's not just you don't wait for like one interview and one comment every sort of single day on a, in a newspaper press press conferences you're hanging on every word of what the, the the subject is one person goes in front of the media and he's the headline for the next next day in the newspaper you know by the time by the time you know, the lads have had an ice bath gone and had something to eat there's about four or five of them put their comments on Instagram or you know social media of of what their brand is. So you know where everybody's at. You know what people are thinking. You know the mind games out playing. There's a couple of things in this. There's no English football that to, 
to sort of um, coincide with the Ashes. That was like 2005. There's pressure on the Ashes series because it's because it's in England. I think the way the ball, you know, talking about the ball moving and everything that, it does make sure make England England's team selection a little bit stronger because of the conditions we're in. I always felt going to Australia, you played against the whole of Australia. I think this year, Australia are going to come and play against the whole of England because I think what happened last time, England losing heavily, I think the, the way the, the sport and calendar works this year, it's all about the ashes. I look at the, this basketball team and the way England are playing, I think they've got their own added pressure of can they do that in the ashes because it's all well and good doing it in Pakistan, but can you do it under the, the, the heat and the pressure of the ashes? If England can prove that they can do it, then I think the whole that all, all that going into the mix puts a hell of a lot of pressure on Australia, um, because I think for the first time for a long time, I think Australia will play against the whole of England, not just the England cricket team, because sometimes you can get lost in little parts of England when you go into these little places, and you can get away from the Ashes. I don't think for six weeks this time you're going to get away from the Ashes if you're the touring side, and I think that brings England even more into the favourites category. It's going to be an extraordinary uh, sporting period there in the UK for this Ashes campaign. A couple of the other uh, news items that have been uh, getting about uh, from an international cricket point of view, and, Hami, the soft signal is being ditched by the ICC. That's been a a talking point uh, around, in particular, contentious catches. The right decision that if it's referred upstairs, upstairs makes the final decision not the umpire out in the middle? It's crazy, isn't it? It's madness. I keep I look at that soft signal and just shake my head and go, well, I don't know what's going on down here, so I'll give you a guess up there. And then it's just literally is, it, it, it was madness. I couldn't believe when they the brought that in. Is it trying to make the crowd in on the on the, on the decision? It's like I'm, I'm guessing down here because I'm not so sure. So you have a guess up there and see if you can somehow make sure that the right decision's made. And more often than not, it's not. So, yes, give the give the man in the sky every picture he can and make him make the right decision. So hopefully we'll get that because the soft signal for me was not fit for purpose because you were just guessing on the field because you don't know. You make the wrong call, then he's got to prove it's the right call. It's just such a grey area and it's it wasn't fit for purpose, I don't think. Keen for your international opinion, Mr. Harmison. There's been a debate or discussion here over the last week in Australia. The Cricket Australia, they're not guaranteeing the Boxing Day test to be in Melbourne or the New Year's test to be in Sydney. You've played in both. You've played in all the grounds around Australia. It'd be absolutely un-Australian, as far as I'm concerned, if either test was moved. What are your thoughts as a as a former player who's been out here and experienced the atmosphere of both those test matches at both those grounds? Yeah, it'd be like taking an Ashes test away from Lords, wouldn't it? Um, no, for me, I can't believe they're going to take Boxing Day away from from Melbourne. That is, you get picked in an overseas Ashes tour. There's only two places you want to play. Now, you, you don't. We don't want to play in Brisbane. <laughs> I didn't want to play in Brisbane, um, especially last time I was there. Um, and then you, you, they say the Sydney, yeah, the, the, the Adelaide and Melbourne, 
uh, sorry, the Adelaide and Perth ones. Yeah, they're just a they're just a warm up to to the main event. More more often than not, we go to at Melbourne and, and Sydney when we've already lost the Ashes, so it's always a party ca- carnival. Can you possibly think about taking a hundred thousand people away from Boxing mm. Day? But that from the outside, I just think that would be madness. And it's not just the Test match in Sydney; it's everything that goes with New Year. We are New Year's Eve on the harbour. More often than not, families are with you. For me, that's the, one of the greatest experiences of an Ashes, overseas Ashes trip, that your family comes and has Christmas Day with you in, in Melbourne, see you pull in from 100,000 people on Boxing Day. You go on the harbour, whether you walk down the side in the afternoon and see all the people camping out waiting for you know, the bridge to light up, or you have the fortune, being fortunate twice now, being on the water when the fireworks are going off. And then you play in that iconic ground, Steve Wall's 100. I was on the field when Steve Wall got that 100 in 2003. Um, could you think that New Year's Test match we played anywhere other than Melbourne and Sydney? So for me, yes, you can change the England, change the grounds around because we were having the first test at Lords and Ben McCraw really enjoyed bowling at Lords in 1997, 2001, and 2003. And even in 2005, he enjoyed bowling at Lords. So we moved. So we were stronger at Edgebaston for the first test match, and then we go to Lords. If you want to do that with the first three for me, fine. But I'd urge as an overseas player who loves playing in Melbourne and Sydney that they stay where they are because they are not iconic grounds. They're iconic. It's an iconic fortnight for overseas players to uh, tour in Australia. Yep. No, it's, it certainly is. And I do think, I, I think it's just a little bit of uh, shenanigans going on at the moment, the Cricket Australia, just to make sure that, yeah, the MCG and the SCG um, uh, you know, hold their line and make sure that they keep striving to you know, make their pitches even better and the facilities even better uh, going forward with those two massive days. We did that here, though, Sam. We had that here in, in, in England where Headingley was getting tatty. You know, Old Trafford was getting run down. Edgebaston wasn't the greatest ground. 2005, Edgebaston wasn't the greatest ground in the world. And all of a sudden you had the Aegeus Bowl coming on, on the scene. Welsh government put Cardiff onto the map when it comes to the cricket ground. My home ground, Durham, had a re- revamp and Durham looked a beautiful cricket ground. So all of a sudden, you know, th- there is a, a just a little shot across the bow and say, look, get your house in order or we'll take the test matches off you. Um, it's different in Australia because it's the, the Boxing Day and New Year's is, is iconic weeks of the year that, that the, the cricket is played on. But Headingley now looks a fantastic cricket ground. Old Trafford is magnificent. I was there yesterday. And Edgebaston, for me, is one of the best cricket grounds in, in England with that new stand and the, the viewing area. So it can work in in, fair, in your favour if you do pick somebody up the backside. But to take it away from Melbourne and Sydney over Christmas and New Year, I think that would be a, that would be a bit tough. Yeah, I think it'll be tough, all right. Uh, I, I think there'd be a... Uh... There'd be protests held in uh, Melbourne and Sydney like we've never seen before by the sporting fans because they are iconic to both those grounds and I think they will stay exactly where they have been for a long, long time. The New Year's Test in Sydney and the Boxing Day Test in Melbourne. Australian Made Week is here. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo when you shop. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harnison. 
Welcome back. This is Road to the Ashes on SENN Talk Sport, of course. Thanks to Australian made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Harmy, I'm very excited. Uh, former England captain, a wonderful batsman for, uh, for England, great personality, fantastic uh, guy to, to play cricket against and watch play cricket. As uh, Mike Gatting, it's fantastic to welcome you, Gat, to uh, Road to the Ashes and uh, see you in, in person. I haven't seen you for yonks, but um, as per usual, you've got a smile on your face. I can't remember a time where you didn't have one. Mate, when you're playing cricket for a living and travelling around the world, you can't beat it, mate. And uh, I have to say, um, it's a bit of a family, our cricket family. It doesn't matter whether you haven't seen anybody for six years or so. You can sit down, have a beer and talk about cricket. It's fantastic. But uh, Harmy with me and uh, we just talked before we, we came on air and um, um, we've spoken a lot about what the Ashes means to Harmy and what the Ashes means to Australia and England. You as a former captain and player in Ashes, Ashes series, what do they mean to you? Look, mate, it, it's it's only when you actually come home, um, perhaps when you've been away to Australia or when you sort of finish the series and you're sitting down and you start talking to people about the cricket, that is when you understand the passion and what it means to the people you're playing for, actually, your country, you know, you're playing and... And, and it means an awful lot to them. I mean, and, and it means a lot to actually other people. I remember when we came back from 86-7, going to, to, to Downing Street and, and Margaret Thatcher saying, thanks very much, Gat. You made my winter one of the most easiest winters I've ever had. Everybody was happy. Everybody at home was happy. But for the players themselves, it was, and it's no disrespect to any of the other countries at all, but because we've been playing for so long, this is the one you always want to play. These, this is a team you want to win against. It's the Australians. And you know for a fact the feeling's the same from the other side too, in the fact it's the test series that any Englishman or any Australian wants to play in because it is played for this little urn that we uh, we actually play for, which is just quite extraordinary. The story's lovely, um, but the passion that both teams actually show when they play is, is quite different to any other test match as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I'm sure a lot of other people. It's interesting you, you, you say that. You know, the the the, the passion of, of playing for your country is quite extraordinary. But the, the other part of Ashes competition is from 11 to 5, it's it's crunch time. But after that, everyone over the journey you know, gets on, you get on well and, and you, you form lifelong relationships. And as you say, you don't have to see everyone every year. But when you do, you're really excited about seeing them again. Yeah, I mean, when you sit down in, I mean, it's not quite the same, I suspect, as the amount of beers we probably used to consume after a test test match or a test day even, um, sitting in the, in, 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 in the dressing rooms and whether you're fielding, if you're fielding, you, you the guys come in batting and if you're, you're batting, you go in and see the fielding side, take a few cans and, and you sit down and you talk about the game. And, it, and that, to me, was one of the nicest days. And I remember sort of having a real bad day and and um, you, but you go into the dressing room and you've had a, a to-do with one or two of the guys and you called them this and you called them that. You sit down in the, in the dressing room afterwards and they say, geez, that's, that, that, that was a good day, mate, and uh, let's have a beer and forget about that. And we got tomorrow to come, you know, forget about that tonight. Let's have a couple. Let's really enjoy ourselves, enjoy the company and talk about cricket. Yeah, you talked about series is played. You mentioned eight, six, seven, which was an iconic series. 
Um, I think that was a series you were described as that at the start was you can't bat, you can't bowl, you can't field. Um, so was that the best series you Ashes series you played in or 85? Simon, you played in 85, the 85 series. What sort of memories you got from them two series, Gap? Well, I remember we played in the World Series. We played the Perth Challenge as well. So that we had a, an extra series because of the, the America's Cup up in Perth. And, and you had the Pakistan team over and the West Indies team. And so it was some really good cricket going on. Now, in those days, you only had 16 players, and we were out there for four and a half months. And I remember playing the last match at Sydney, and Sod was actually batting at the time. And I gave the ball to Neil Foster, and it was the last match of the, of the four and a half months. And it was a low-scoring match at Sydney, and Sod was there, and he had to get, I think, about 14 or 16 off the last over off, uh, off Neil Foster. And when I threw the ball to Neil Foster, he said... Thanks, Gat. He said, he said, I'm not sure I can do this. But I said, look, Fozzie, just what will be will be. And he ran in and bowled and and unfortunately bowled some good good overs. Mm. Sod whacked a couple down the ground, um, but couldn't quite get the, the runs required. And I remember just sitting down in the change room after four and a half months. And I I mean, it was it was just quite incredible. And the reason I liked it, I think, was because if you if you talk to Beefy, Beefy said that's one of his favorite trips. And I think uh it was a very, very, very interesting one for the simple reason everybody had to play a part in that four and a half months. And it was just a phenomenal, you know, you made some heroes. Chris Broad was 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 enormous in, in that trip. Bill Athey. Um, and, you know, for, for a team that was probably the worst that left the shores, which I thought was a really harsh description when you had the people like Gower, Lamb, Botham, Dilly, probably the best two spinners as a pair around at the time in Edmonds and Embry. I thought our press were, as usual, being uh, a little bit OTT. So, so for me, that was good. 81 series was just an, another enormous series. Um, if you talk about um, drama with regards Beefy and the captaincy and, and then Headingley and Mike Brearley taking over. Um, and then you have some of the other ones that uh, um, we didn't do so well in. Um, so I was fortunate. I managed to you know, being three, three, three or so good, good sides, which one and, 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 and good sides that lost uh, because the Australians had some, as always, very good players and were always as competitive as you always expect them to be. Yeah, I, th I think, so, sorry, keep going. Now go on. I, I think it's fascinating listening to you talk about four and a half months and it's what, was part of a cricketer's life in those days. You know, Australia's about to go embark on an Ashes series in England for six weeks and play, you know, five yeah. test matches. It, it, it's quite extraordinary. It's, you know, you weren't allowed to tour without playing every county. You, know, you guys had to come out and play first-class cricket against every state. And then, you know, four-day games. And then we threw in the, um, you know, it coincided with the America's Cup in Fremantle. So... Uh, that was the the series we played over in Perth that was added on to your usual program. It, it was so different to what it is now. And today, that's nothing against today. Today is fantastic. And I, I think the athletes are just absolutely brilliant. But the, the, uh, the stresses and strains that went on for those long periods of time were very unique. They were indeed. And, and, and you had to have a little bit of leeway with the players. I mean, I remember saying to Beefy, I said, look, we got to play these warm-up matches. And I said, we've got some young kids in Defratis and, and Stoney and Fozzie. I said, 
look after them. And I said, have a, you know, make sure you do your nets. I said, but as soon as the real cricket starts, you tell me what matches you want to play in and let's get on with it. Because Beefy was going to play in all the matches. Um, so I, I just sort of try to give them as much leeway and responsibility, if that's possible, to actually do that. And, and you know, he, he responded so well. And, I mean, he, he was awesome in that trip. I mean, he tore an intercostal muscle, muscle and, you know, you, you, you don't, as, I mean, Harmy will tell you and you as yourself, you tear an intercostal muscle, that's normally sort of three months. And yet Beefy got back for the test at Melbourne, although albeit older and i'm sure he'll appreciate accept that some of the balls he bowled and got wickets with were absolutely horrendous and he managed somehow because beefy had that sort of hex on on the guys it was it was just incredible but he wanted to play and he did play and you know he, he battled through as a lot of players did as well and Gat, one of the, the the guys you mentioned earlier and i still can't believe he's he's not with us the, the great shane one um, you'll be remembered for that. Well, not just for that, because you had a wonderful career, but you're remembered for that iconic moment, you know, great commentary, the ball that landed just outside leg stump, clipped the top of off stump, the expression on your face at Old Trafford, unbelievable ball. Gat, uh, before you uh, answer yeah. that, Gat, before you answer that, why don't we just relive it? First ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Gatting has absolutely no idea what has happened to it. He still doesn't know. He asked Kenny Palmer on the way out. Kenny Palmer just gave him a raised eyebrow and a little nod. And that's all it needed. <laughs> Extraordinary. Yeah, it was. Um... As I say, um, it, it was one of those deliveries that uh, you know when you when you when you when you go and you're being coached by the coach. The coach says, you know, have a look at the first ball, see what the pitch is doing, how much it's turning, and <laughs> I mean that didn't help very much either, you know, because it was too late. Yeah, I mean, look, we we, we all heard about warning. We knew that he could spin it quite a bit. Um, I suppose when AB gave him the ball, I suppose just before lunch it was, and. Uh, you know, he said, you know, come on, just just get it down the other end. And I know talking to Warney about it afterwards, he said, look, mate, he said, all I try to do is get it down the other end, mate. He said, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen when it pitched. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, just, just a phenomenal ball. And, and, and the reason I was looking so, because I didn't hear it hit the stumps, because it just hit the bail, it just took the bail off. And there was only one on the floor. And I actually thought that Heels, in his haste to get back from down the leg side, he was going down the leg side, I thought somehow, he, you know, he just, you know, clipped a bail. But, um, um, yeah, the first first sound I heard after after a short pause, and I'm missing it, was, uh, um, mate, you're out, see you later, <laughs> you know, from Heels. And I sort of looked there and I said, well, I can't be out. I mean, and then I saw this bail on the floor and and, and, and I sort of, and I thought, how on earth has that, that, that got on the floor? Because I missed it. And so I wasn't at LBW. I wasn't out. So I missed it because it went past the outside. So I didn't know how I was out. And then, as I say, the bail was there. And and then I heard Heels again said, mate, you're out. See you later. Um, and uh, off I went. And, and that was it. And, and we had to turn the TV off in the changing rooms because... Richie was just over the moon. I mean, he, he just, he loved it. You know, Richie tried to be, I think that's probably the most, 
I wouldn't say biased I'd ever seen Richie, but Richie, because he was a leg spinner himself yeah. and and uh, he saw this ball, he just absolutely loved it. And as, as hard as he tried not to, to, to not to smile, you could he just had to turn the thing off in the change room because the boys kept seeing this replayed all over lunch. It was quite incredible. Um, but as I say, the nice thing about it, Simon, was that um, he wasn't that beach bum that people thought he might be. Who got about you know got the chance to play Test cricket. He turned out to be you know, for, for everybody, I suspect, the best ever in the game. There might be others later on in, in time, but, uh, you know, for us, he was he was a great competitor, uh, wonderful cricketer. It's a shame he didn't get to captain Australia because I think he'd be a fantastic captain. But his inspiration to everybody, you know, that he seemed to talk to and, and the love of the game he had was was also huge and, and the fact that he knew a lot about the game he always wanted to be the game to be the best it could be and he'd always want to sit down and talk to you about it mm. um so for me um he was a, a lovely lovely man who who uh really wanted the best and he inspired many many kids certainly over here in the uk when he played for hampshire and was around the traps you'd always see him talking to the kids and and whatever so uh sad to, to lose such a great man so early quite extraordinary what he's done for cricket gat what he had, you know, to to inspire kids, male or female, to play cricket. It was, and and the real the real sort of thing about it was, even when he was commentating, you know, he, he made it enjoyable to listen to. Uh, he was knowledgeable about it, and and he was always, as I say, looking for different areas where where he could help make cricket become better, to show cricket better in a better light, and um, to make sure that the kids would come back and, and and try and play cricket and watch cricket. And and if they didn't watch it, maybe umpire or do something else. It was all about, you know, the game for him. And, uh, yeah, it just, just uh, we've just lost a, a man who could inspire. And there aren't too many around, uh, um, you know, in cricket that can do what he, he actually did. Well, you've won Ashes Series. You've captained England to winning Ashes Series. You've got a very important national series coming up, or we've all got a very important national series coming up, where the expectation is is massive. How do you see it playing out? Look, I I, I I'm a loss actually to try and predict what's going to happen because I watched uh, England in New Zealand. I was very fortunate enough to go out and watch and play two Test matches in New Zealand, and the cricket was just quite extraordinary. Um, a young lad called Brook who you will probably see and a lot of Australians will see possibly for the first time uh, is, is, is quite a phenomenal player. Um, I won't say too much and, and build, try and build him up too much, but he is a very simple player who, who hits seizable, hits the ball. And, you know, that to me, he seems to have time to do, which is often signs of a very, very good player. And, the way they play their cricket now, what's been interesting for me is the way they have, they've integrated some of the, what I'd say, the IPL stuff, the one-day cricket, into test cricket. You know, there's reverse sweeps going, there's ramps. Even people like Joe Root is doing the same too. Not that he needs to because he's a he's a very fine player, but he, he looks like he's enjoying it and he wants to bring that enjoyment in when he can. Um, the only person I think that's probably sort of suffered a little bit is Stokesy, funnily enough, because he's trying to get everybody to play this sort of cricket. Well, he doesn't need to because he's another one of those guys. For me, is a, a lovely, magnificent cricketer, and he's trying to be too sort of, if you want to call it baseball. I don't like particularly baseball. I just like to think that they're they're trying to entertain, as we all did when we played, and they're doing it a different way than we did because we had some constrictions on us. 
So how's it going to pan out? I don't know. How are the Aussies going to play? How How's Cummings going to sort of, uh, if he gets whacked back over his head by Harry Brook in, in the second or third over or something of a spell, how's he going to react? Because it, it must be quite difficult because I saw good bowlers in New Zealand being whacked straight back, straight back over their head in a test match. Now, you, I, I, I've never seen that before. You see the hook and a cut and a pull and whatever, but somebody just standing there and hitting the ball straight back over their head and everybody having the freedom to do that. Um, I, I still worry a little bit about our opening pair, although Mr. Duckett's done very well. Crawley's just got a big hundred just recently, but I still worry about Creeps. He's a, he's a talent, but the, the, the consistency is not quite there. And I suppose Warner's the same sort of in mm. the same boat for Australia. So I think there's a little bit of a lot, a lot of sort of um, things that both camps are worrying about. And I think um, the fact they brought Bearstow straight back in is, is very harsh on folksy, but how do you leave something like Johnny out because the way he played last summer was was just phenomenal and um, you can't afford to leave him out. So I think England will be positive in, in, in the right manner. Um, I watched them play positively in two ways in, in New Zealand. They, they, they actually murdered them um, at Mount Monganoo on a flat wicket and, and won in, inside sort of five days. And then they had to battle and fight for a for a test match that was just a fantastic one at Wellington. So they can do both. Um, but it's just in anticipating what you're going to see is a great thing for me in, at this particular time and the way England are playing. The other thing I would mention is you've got to be good players to do what they're doing. And that's the exciting thing for me is I haven't seen a batting lineup like this um, uh, for England with, with players who can win test matches on their own for a long time. Army, what would you have done when the ball went back over your head from Harry Brook? Oh, shorter <laughs> and make sure the next one didn't. Make sure the next one didn't. Just on just on Gat's point with, with Ben Ben Stokes, I think Ben. I think you'll see a difference in Ben Stokes. I think Ben Stokes is making a point to his team about how he wants his team to play and freedom. And if you make a mistake, well, then I'm. It's not so much I'm not bothered, but I'm wanting you to make a mistake. And I think he is. He has gone about that way to try and, and reinforce the message that he's trying to give. And I think some of his dismissals, I'm not saying he's doing it on purpose, but I don't think he minds being the one that everybody's talking about is the one that's not, who's who's basically making a mess of it. Because I think you'll see a different Ben Stokes in the ashes. I don't see think you'll see the the the, the sort of carefree dismissals that you've seen. I think you'll see the 2019 Ben Stokes that you know, players in a way that the situation needs rather than just this carefree chucking his hitting the ball up to extra cover, hitting it to mid wicket. I think, and I don't think, and I think he'd be ready for the Ashes. I think Ben Stokes will be the man. If England win the Ashes, he'd be the man. He'd be the Freddie of 2005. I've got no doubt about that. Look, I sincerely hope so because I mean, for me, he's our second—he's he our second best player in the team. I mean, Joe, if you're talking about batsmen, in fact, both of them. I mean, I would put Stokes in in, in Joe's cat in Joe's category too because you know he his technique is as good as anybody in the team, and and for me, he he is very very important, and and for me, it's with the ball as well because when he bowls, if he can bowl, he is. For me, again, as dangerous as any of our bowlers, the way he bowls the ball with the angle in and running it away, and when it swings, he is, for me, as good as any of them. And as an all-rounder, 
you know, you look at him and you, and you, and you talk about the beefy Bothams and, and the Freddies. You know, for me, Stokesy, it, it, as a batter, is better than both of both of them. And as a bowler, he can be as effective as both of them in, in, in the way that he swings the ball. So for me, he's going to be hugely important. And I, I would, it, it, it doesn't irk me. It just surprised me. But I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to lead from the front. He was trying to show the guys. Now he's done that. Now they all know what to do. I hope he does go back to the way he played in 2019 because that was special. And that was, uh, you know, a man with, with, with great ability and, and great leadership. So for me, it's important. Um, but I think there'll be others in there that will want to do well too. And as I say, I'm so so looking forward to this. What to expect, I do not know. But, um, you know, Mr. Smith's not got any runs recently, but I'm sure he'll be very revved up for this and Labashane and, and, and lots of others um, within the team. And, and Mr. Head seems to be getting a lot of runs. So they've got players in their team too that can be destructive. What, what Mr. Warner's going to do, who knows? But um, it, it's just going to be one of those things. You know, You know people seem to find something different in an Ashes series, they find a bit of something extra. They find a bit of inspiration because it's the Ashes. And uh, so, yeah, it, you've got good players and some very fine bowlers on both sides. And it'll be interesting what sort of wickets we play on. I suspect we're going to play on flat wickets. And I I'm, I think their spinner, Harmy, is a little better than ours in Mr Lyon at the moment, who's a, a wonderful cricketer. And I think if we do play on flat wickets and we get some good weather, which is what I think we will play on, um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the boys cope with Mr Lyon because he is a, a very seriously good bowler. Australian Made Week is here. Look for the green and gold kangaroo logo when you shop. Road to the Ashes with Simon O'Donnell and Steve Harnison. Welcome back to Road to the Ashes. Thanks to Australian Made. Look for the green and gold kangaroo. Simon O'Donnell, Steve Harmison with you. Great to chat to uh, former England captain Mike Gaddings. He's in uh, such a good frame of mind and really looking forward to this Ashes campaign coming up. Harmy, we've got uh, a few questions that have come uh, in through our social media network uh, to us uh, regarding the road to the Ashes. Uh, some interesting um, uh, questions coming in from your side of the world and uh, please send them in as regularly as you can. Talk Sport 2 and at cricket underscore TS and to hear uh, us at SEN on our Twitter and Instagram at EN, at, sorry, yes, at EN, at SEN underscore cricket. Uh, Harmi Lana asks, who will be the most influential player for Australia and why? I've got my thoughts. What are yours? Uh, Pat Cummins for me, Australia captain. I think he's huge. I think not only is he the best bowler in world cricket at this minute in time, I think it's five test matches, six and a bit weeks, that's a big ask, not only on a quick bowler, but the mental pressure that he's going to be under with leading the team um, and the outside noises that are going to have during them six weeks, that's a lot of pressure on one man. So for me, Pat Cummins, if he performs well, as much as I think the top of the order is also a concern for me on Australia, but Pat Cummins performs well. He, Australia got a great chance of winning. I can Steve Smith. He, he's been really challenged physically now with his hip and you know lower back tightness, and you know he's starting to question himself to say, you know, how long have I got left? And I think 
you know, because this could be his final Ashes tour in England, I reckon he's going to want to go out with an absolute blinder. And the Jofra Archer omission is huge for Steve Smith. So, um, Lana, I think he is the one that's going to have the most influence for Australia in the Ashes series this year. Steve Harmison with me and another Steve asks, how much should test traditionalists fear what is happening with the IPL and player contracts? I mean, I'll tell you what, the one thing we can't do or cricket administrators can't do is pretend the IPL and its growth isn't happening. It's got to be addressed. They've got to be getting prepared for what the future is with the IPL having more impact across a 12-month period of international cricket. Your thoughts? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think they have been, I think they have been asleep. I think they've been asleep at the wheel for quite some time. And I think they have ignored the IPL for such a long time that we're in the position we're in. I've said this week on, on the cricket show on, on Talk Sport, we get asked, where will cricket be in three to five years' time? And we talked about the IPL taking over. I think everybody's seen it. My worry now is it's not so much the IPL taking over. Are we going to start seeing a transfer system in cricket? Because I think that's where we're going next in a, in a view that, Joffre Archer, Joss Butler, England's top cricketers will be 12-month contract by Rajasthan or by Mumbai. And then all of a sudden, if they get multiple year contracts, that's when it turns into, well, Joffre Archer is going to move from Mumbai franchise to Rajasthan franchise, playing five tournaments around the world, loan back to England whenever it's right, right to do so for test matches. But there's a transfer fee if he's in the middle of a contract, and that transfer fee is start off low, but we might we might see it. I never thought I'd ever see it in my lifetime, transfer fee in cricket, but I think it's coming as well, which is which is a concern for international cricket because if you've got a player in French on a franchise contract, they're not going to want to play in international cricket too much. Yeah, the face of cricket is changing rapidly and we can only hope that our um, custodians at the ICC and uh, cricket fraternities around the world are, are keeping an eye on it and being open and transparent in their dialogue with the IPL because um, things are changing and, and the money that's being thrown around and the offers that are about um, can have a, a very much a detrimental effect on uh, what we have become used to with uh, our, our countries playing against each other on a regular basis around the world. Uh, Dean asks, which will be Australia's best test during this series? And I mean, interesting, the Australian record at Lords is the best of any other ground in the UK. For some reason, the Aussies seem to regularly perform well there. Um, Edgbaston, I know, is, a, is an absolute graveyard for the Australians. Is there anything you've noticed over the journey with the Aussies and where they perform best in the UK? It was always Glenn that performed well at, at Lords. It wasn't so much Australia performed <laughs> well at Lords. I remember walking off the field with 5 for 40 in the first Test match in 05, thinking, I've bought well here. And by the end of the day, Glenn had five for six, I think, and in my five for four, it feel like five hundred and fifty. But it, it, it just Lords just seems to bring the best out of overseas, overseas players, overseas that dressing room and the history and everything that goes with it. So Lords is probably the Test match that stands out uh, for me. I think the key Test match in the series could be that third, fourth one, that Old Trafford one. Mm. England having Jofra Archer, Mark Wood, and possibly another fast bowler, that would be in their gamble if the series 
with England or behind in the series. So I think that's a pivotal test match at, at Old Trafford or, or potentially at Headingley. But which one Australia will perform the best in? I think history tells you that it will be loads. Well, they'll all be tough. That's the one thing they uh, all Absolutely. will be. I mean, they'll all be tough. Well, we've come to a close. Uh, yet another week as we build up to June 16 when the first ball will be bowled in the first test of the Ashes series. Uh, been another great episode, mate. Uh, look forward to chatting next week. Can't wait, Matt. Good on you, Steve Harmison, joining me there. We'll be back next week on the road to the Ashes on SEN and Talk Sport, of course. Thanks to Australian Made. Make sure you check out our podcast also. See you next week.